Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Glam Reaper podcast. I'm your host Jennifer Muldowney aka the Glam Reaper. On today's episode we are talking all things mental health with Kana's Barbara Kemis. Take it away. Welcome to another episode of the Glam Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Muldowney, and I have one of my favorite people to bump into at the conventions, Barbara Chemis. Is Chemis is the right na- way of pronouncing it? Chemis? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, always as an Irish person, I always have to make sure I get that perfectly clear. Barbara, welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. So glad to be with you. Tell us a little, well, tell um, the audience a little bit about who you are, where you're from. You're in the U.S., um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah, I'm talking to you from Chicago, Illinois. The uh, the headquarters of the Cremation Association of North America is in suburban Chicago, and I'm the executive director of CANA, Cremation Association, and we're a uh, trade association with 3,500 members ranging from funeral homes, cemeteries, crematories, suppliers, students, consultants, the common denominator being cremation. That's what we focus on and what we like to talk about. Cool. Very good. Um, And so cremation, obviously, in COVID times especially, has taken a massive um, increase. And I feel like you and I sort of will, we're de- we definitely think a lot alike about the same things. We've joked about sort of doing this podcast for a while. Um, we, like cremation, it's on the rise. I mean, we're running out of burial space the world over. We all, well, we all know that. Um, the general public maybe doesn't know that, but we all know that. Um, but then with COVID and obviously certain restrictions and stuff and people not being able to have funerals, co- cremation seems to just increase, increase, increase. Do you think that that took a huge step and it'll now peter out or do you think it'll just keep climbing and climbing, climbing? Well, I do think cremation rates are going to continue to grow. And interestingly, um, in 2020 and 2021, the two primary, well, years for COVID um, deaths in the U.S. and Canada and U.S. and Canada statistics are what Canaan most tracks. But I think this is true internationally. Um, Fascinating is the percentage of cremations grew predictably. It, you know, as I talk to my members, they're like, oh my gosh, my cremation rate is three times, four times what it was. Well, what, and I believe them, they're right. Yeah. Because the sheer numbers of cremations increased so dramatically. So as far as COVID driving some exponential or stair step increase in um, in cremations overall. We didn't see that. It was one and a half percent increase year over year, but the total number of deaths was so much bigger. And so we, um, in 2020, it was just shy of 2 million cremations in the United States. The final numbers for 2021 aren't in yet. We're starting that data collection now, but the preliminary numbers were closer to 2 million cremations. I expect we'll, we'll hit 2 million um, in 2021. And, and that's incredible. That's hundreds of thousands more than 2019. So even though, you know, I'm, I'm cautious about, oh yeah, cremation rates grow predictably and all that. No, the experience is that hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. experienced cremation probably for the first time or the first time in a long time and and in circumstances you described without the ability to have services. Uh, some of our members reported, especially in the, on the East Coast in the early months of, of COVID, they would get a call at the cemetery. What can you do first, cremation or burial? Family didn't care. They yeah. just didn't like wow. their loved one in a refrigerated truck or what what can happen faster you know they were making decisions under circumstances that i hope we never experience again right right i know that's oh that's crazy i never i never knew that that's yeah that's a horrible position that the families were in i mean i know there was there wasn't so much atrocities that kind of went on but to to think that somebody had you know, lost somebody and then having to say something like that. I mean, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because exactly. I know, yeah, in our, in our, um, in my memorial um, business, uh, we, yeah, we found that a lot of people um, got somebody cremated and then are having the service later memorials mm-hmm. in the last year and stuff have increased for us um, where the urn is present and, and, but they're having it sort of a year or two years after the person passed away. 
Um, whereas with burial, while you can still absolutely have a service and if you haven't done something, I would recommend it, not for my own gains, but from a, I, it's interesting when I started my journey um, and sort of this idea of a memorial service that's similar, that is a funeral, but it's not a funeral and um, stuff. People used to think, oh, it was just throwing a party and this life celebration quote got thrown around so much. And, you know, people would say, oh, you're just dancing on graves or you just want a party and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's not what it is at all. Like I 150 million percent believe in the the funeral, the the blueprint of that as being something where everyone gathers and grieving can begin if it hasn't already and just that safe space for everybody and creating that just lovely warm environment um and there's such a fine line between it being a celebration of life and mourning a loss you know and we were actually only talking about it at a memorial at the weekend it's um you know you can throw a party of course you can if, and if that's what but I feel like that just sort of cushions the it's like we're ignoring the grief we're ignoring the loss we're ignoring the person has passed away um, and I think we have to address that so I think um whether somebody in COVID got um cremated or buried I feel like having some sort of a service even if it's for 10 people in your home something just yeah. something um it's a funeral is just so 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 important I think so I wholeheartedly agree and I think there's you know, language matters, obviously, mm-hmm. and whether it's funeral, celebration of life, or, you know, dinner, <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever exactly. it is, um, I, I think we as humans, it's our impulse to gather, to comfort each other, to celebrate together. It, it's not, you know, it's not typical to, to have solo, um, you know, markings of, of rites of passage kind of thing. And so, yeah. you know, COVID interrupted that sometimes, sometimes it could be, um, I, I went to more kind of online funerals, including family as far flung as the Philippines um, during COVID. I, I don't think they would have live streamed it otherwise, right? Yeah. If it hadn't been COVID. And I'm so grateful because this was a distant relative and I could participate and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have flown to the Philippines even had I could at that point. Um, So there's, you know, there's, there's an accessibility aspect that technology brings us to gather. And I I have to say, I think the favorite part of that, of that uh, there, I mean, that the whole service was great, but there was this time between the mass and driving to the cemetery where my cousin-in-law is, he had a driver, but he was filming downtown, the downtown of the small town where most of the relatives had grown up or visited frequently in their childhood. And the Zoom chat went nuts. It was like, oh my gosh, so-and-so's like, I see them on the street. There they are. There's so-and-so. And And, (laughs) oh, that cafe's still open. I'm glad it survived COVID. And like all of this, all of this, like, you know, reminiscing about their, their town. And of course there were family memories shared and stuff during, during the ceremony and during the the burial time. But um, I mean, that, that experience was all of it. It was tears Mm -hmm. during the mass. It Mm -hmm. when the casket closed, it was wail and literally wailing on zoom. Then this family reunion, virtual family (laughs) reunion. And then as at the cemetery, more sharing of, of memories and experiences and asking after people. And it was, you know, so it, it was the whole range of experience. Um, that's a very specific example, but I think, whatever the impulse is, whatever we call it, you know, um, we do something to mark these rites of passage. And Kana Research has validated that too. Um, A few years ago, for example, we did some focus group research. And if you've ever participated in focus group research, you know, you hire somebody to populate the focus groups, but you've got to tell them who you want. So we told them income and age and gender and all these things. And then we said, we want two groups. We want a direct cremation group and a cremation with service group, okay? And and they said, okay, fine, what does that mean? And we screwed up. We made our first mistake in the research. And we said, direct cremation means people who chose cremation and did nothing. And cremation with service means people who chose cremation and then had a funeral celebration of life, fill in the blank. They came back to us and said, we can't populate the first group. Out of our tens of thousands of people in our database, we can't find anybody, we can find thousands of people who arrange cremations but no one who did nothing, no one. 
And the mistake was what we meant was did nothing with the funeral provider, with the cremation provider's involvement or assistance. They could have done something on their own. So once we change that, then we could populate both groups. But I'm here to tell you the research, I'm sitting on the other side of the glass during these focus groups, and I can't tell who's the direct cremation group versus the cremation with service group. As they talked about their cremation experience, they were the same. They, it, not that it didn't matter if a funeral director was involved. Of course it did. Um, however, how, you know, by and large, their experiences were similar, whether they DIY'd their services or not. So the importance, I, this is all by way of validating your statement. The importance of this is, is critical. Yeah, it really is. That's really uh, fascinating to hear um, because I often, in my dealings with funeral homes, it's kind of one of the things I'm saying. I'm like, families are either going to do something with you or they're going to do something without you, most likely. I mean, and you literally just, you've the evidence to prove it, but this was just uh, like <clears throat> that. It's a fact because as you said, it's our human nature to gather. There's actually a book sitting on my January to do, to read list and um, book about the art of gathering. Um, and I can't wait to get into it. Um, because I do, I think it's, it's so important um, to gather in these times and whether it's through a funeral home, through your local church, through an event planner, through, you know, just gathering your, your, your mum's, you know, bingo ladies together or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, it's just having those, those sacred moments. It really is. It's so precious. Um, and so it's great to hear that it's actually factually backed up <laughs> with a focus group. <laughs> As an aside, is that book the uh, by what's her name Priya Priya Parker? Yes, that's her. Yeah, excellent book. And she had a short-lived podcast at the beginning. Uh, it started right before the pandemic, but shockingly, in the early months of the pandemic, it ended because we weren't gathering. So oh. it's still out there. I think it was a New York Times podcast, so it's worth looking. I for. must. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually, how I came across her book was at an American Express business convention or something and mm. I of course they were kind of handing out a free book and you had a selection I think of five and of course you know I walked up and I just immediately see well a the cover is gorgeous with colors and rainbows so that kind of was eye-catching but it was it was about gathering and I was like that's the one for me like there was other ones about like 10x your business and like sales strategies da, 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 da. I'm like no that one's mine um, <laughs> and so I, it's been sitting there now I will say for two months so um I'm, I'm doing detox and and feel good January so I'm hoping to have a bit more down, downtime now that uh, everyone's sort of dry january and all that sort of stuff right. so um so i actually a follower on instagram or i started following i think when i got the book and um her posts are are fantastic um so she's definitely a woman after my own heart so maybe i'll get her on this podcast actually that would be Thanks. wonderful i'd oh, listen so. yeah there you go that could actually be good um so yeah so i mean yeah the, the gathering together and you know the, the the funeral and memorials and stuff and i i do think a little bit um you know don't hate me any funeral directors that are hearing this but i do think that's where the funeral directors and funeral homes are losing it a little bit it it losing it as in they're kind of giving out um that people don't want them they don't want this and they don't want that and it's sort of a negative vibe and i actually feel like families do they want more they want more things and um, but it's things that they value so whether it's live streaming whether it's a gathering uh, without a priest like people are changing we're evolving and i think if you know funeral homes if they say stay stagnant and antiquated, they're not going to, they are going to lose. They are going to become what they fear most, which is just become disposal houses, as cruel as that sounds. Like mm -hmm. that's what's going to happen unless they open their eyeballs and see what's actually out there. I mean, I feel like I am a prime candidate for, for telling them that and it's not because of who I work with and where I am and stuff like I started what I'm doing back home in Ireland in Little Ireland 15 years ago um I still consult with families back home in Ireland um and yes like I work with a notable funeral home here in New York and I work with you know some families that are well off but it's what I've actually tried to explain to some of them and they digested is that Okay, I might you might have uh, you know family one and family two and family one might be super super wealthy and have you know massive disposable income and family two might not have anything. 
you can still create an incredible memorial and profitable for the funeral home because, you know, it is a business and everything like that, as am I. Um, you know, you can still do all of that and provide people with an incredible service as long as they value it and as long as you're giving them what they value. So like, for example, you know, family one might value having wait staff. That might be super important to them and they just want to feel like everything's taken care of. Family two might want to do everything themselves, but they need somebody to just guide them, to give them a to-do list, to overlook everything. And I've worked with all different types of families and I'll be completely honest, sometimes the profit can be the same in both. (laughs) You know, it just, it just wildly depends. Um, and it's, you know, I know it's a bit of a sensitive subject for um, funeral homes, but with the increase of um, cremation, direct cremation, I feel like showing your value as a member of the community and as the person that people can turn to in in their time of need, I think is where I think me and Larry have even um, joked about this. And our good friend Larry, who's previously been on, actually, we had to break Larry's episode up into three podcasts, of course, because it's Larry and we were talking <laughs> Of course. Um, But even he said, you know, that it really should be there should be a line item, which is your consultant fees, as opposed to, you know, marking up on caskets and things like that. And I think, he, you know, I I completely agree with him. I think that's the way forward. Oh, I couldn't agree more because I think I think where cremation is perceived or experienced as a threat to funeral business, a threat to profitability. Let's be clear, a business threat um, to to funeral providers is is because their business model has not adjusted and moved away from merchandise casket markups is the most common mm-hmm. um, and you know it's 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 just so fascinating cuz the funeral rules under review and the whole point of the funeral rule was to itemize and move away from packages but i really believe that the um the funeral rule inadvertently created a package, which is called direct cremation, which the concept didn't exist before the funeral rule was uh, implemented in 1984. And it really didn't exist anywhere else in the world and still is unique to the United States. We are exporting it, perhaps this concept of direct disposition only, you can, you know, then then whatever the grieving family wants to do, they can do. Um, but it's created the, you know, the concept, we get calls all the time at Cana from consumers who are like, unclear, why does the cremation price say $9.95, but, you know, I ended up paying $2,500 or something. And the answer is because direct cremation is really at least four, if not five components, right? It's the cremation, but it's also transportation of the deceased from place of death to the crematory. It's administrative you know, getting death certificates, all paperwork, all of that stuff. It's store refrigerated, secure storage, and then it's returning cremated remains, and then any services on top of that. And um, because the way the funeral rule has been interpreted, implemented, understood by all parties, yeah, it's 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 misleading in a way. And so this funeral rule review is supposed to be, I and I think is addressing some of those issues. But it's a shame to me, and I am speaking from a consumer perspective because I'm I'm not a funeral professional. I'm an association executive. I was hired to run an association that happens to focus on cremation. Um, and I, I think I do that well, but I've also learned a lot about cremation. But I still kind of come more from a consumer perspective. I'm like, if I'm hiring an expert, I want expertise, right? Yeah. I'm not necessarily... I want good value, of course, and I want what I want, and I may not know what I want until I see all the options, um, but give me all the options, right? Help me, guide me through this this major purchase, this heightened, highly emotional um, situation, and so that I can feel like I got good value, but I also had at least a good start to my grieving experience through all of this, and this focus on on price and get it done and minimalism may work well for some, but I, I think doesn't work well for the majority, you know? So yeah. That's my, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there are uh, like, as I'm constantly saying, there's every one of us is unique. We're very, very different each of us and we all want different things. Um, <clears throat> and there will be those that want the minimal of everything and, and they're, you know, that's, their choice and that that should be they should be allowed to do that i do think a lot of consumers um 
in my experience and from listening to different podcasts and stuff like that, I think my in my experience, um, a lot of uh, a lot of consumers get sticker shock. And I used to work in the wedding business, um, and so I, the the difference is vast because a wedding is something you're planning for. It's something you're preparing for. You know, maybe a year, maybe even two years, even regardless, you're at least usually preparing a month or so, and you're saving towards it. When somebody dies, you're the whole world falls apart. You're, uh, you know, and even if it's somebody removed from you, they're still like, oh my God, that person's gone. Oh my God. And then, and then you're presented with fee. Okay. Price. Now you have to pay for this. And people are like, what is happening? You know, they feel like they're being robbed a second time. And that's, if uh, they are, they feel like that, unless you can make them not feel like that and Mm -hmm. show your value and show, you know, what you bring to the table and it's that it's not just and again I'm always I'm so on the side of, of the funeral profession because it's um it gets such a rough time in the media and I think that's what the difficulty is that people come to a funeral home they've already <clears throat> suffered this massive loss and they're coming in and they're thinking this is going to be somebody who just wants to take my last pennies and this is somebody who just wants to you know I've been robbed of so much and 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 now this person is going to like take the last bit um and that's honestly that's not true and during covid i mean you know i talked about this about on another podcast i wish i was licensed um, because i could have helped my friends and my colleagues that was really heartbreaking for me and i'm sure for you barbara it's Mm -hmm. you know we're not licensed and i've no intention of getting licensed but during covid it was so hard to sit back and you know watch them work tirelessly 24 7 um helping all these families and you know though those sort of stories are not shown in the media those sort of incredible hero stories yes absolutely were the heroes in the hospitals there 100% were but there were heroes outside the back of the hospitals taking our loved ones after they passed away into their care and actually there's um there's a, f- a famous funeral director um Caleb Wild mm-hmm. he put a post on um on Instagram uh, I believe he's stepped back from funeral directing now actually um mm-hmm for his mental health I believe um which fair play to him um but he put a post which I thought was really interesting and it was um kind of a bit how how we cleanse the idea of death from society because he said you know you go in the front door of a hospital help you know needing help but you come out the back door when you've passed away yeah and the funeral director has to come in the back often beside as he said in the post beside the trash cans and everything else like how horrendous really and I'd actually never even thought about that and I just thought wow that's actually wild to think that 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 happens so often and again I'm just you know I'm digressing a little bit but it was just watching my friends and colleagues go through that during COVID and you know they were never given any praise or any uh, you know not that they do it for this but any like free coffee in Starbucks and all of these little things that were given to the nurses and the doctors that absolutely deserved it don't get me wrong I'm not trying to take from the rich to give to the poor or anything but um I just felt like you know we're kind of not we, because I wasn't one of them, but they're like the masked crusaders that just float around in the middle of the night. And, you know, it's just, it's really heartbreaking. Um, And so it's showing that value when you've got, I went on a bit of a tangent there, but it's showing the value when, you know, when you're sitting in front of that family. And if, you know, sometimes it's it's a hard conversation I've had with some funeral directors. I'm like, if they don't see the value, then they don't see the value and they probably never will. And no, the, no, but, uh, you know, going back to your tangent for just a second, I'm so glad. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with you and I'm so glad you expressed that because COVID for me, the pandemic, the, the um, 2020 for sure was this weird thing that just like you, I'm not licensed. I was working at my dining room table for the most part. Um, meanwhile, I'm married to a nurse practitioner who was working in nursing homes. A quarter of her patients died within you know, a a short period of time. Um, And, you know, she's swathed in plastic at work and coming home. Mm. And there's thank you essential workers everywhere. Chicago didn't have, you know, had different uh, traditions than than New York. There was no banging the pans, but there were yard signs and different things like that. And I never once saw a inclusion of funeral Mm. directors certainly not crematory operators or cemeterians in that list of essential workers. 
And one of the things I was doing on behalf of members was kind of, you know, public policy and lobbying kinds of things. And it was so, it wasn't just a lack of thank you. I, I definitely think that, you know, and the funeral professionals listening to this podcast can agree or disagree that they're kind of accustomed to being unsung heroes and they're perfectly fine yeah. for the most part being in the background. And, you know, um, and mo and frankly, most, uh, I was like this as a consumer before I came to Cana. Like, there's a lot I didn't know about what goes on with death and who's who's taking care of our dead. And and I I don't mind knowing now, but wow, am I grateful to them that they're handling this? And I one of those things you don't need to know, right? You don't need yeah. to know because it's done. It's it's handled, and there's an infrastructure for it, and that's fantastic. But that infrastructure was stretched. And then you know, I guess what was disconcerting is even when vaccines started becoming available, and and given maybe they were unsung heroes, but they were left off the list in many states yeah. even have access to early access to vaccines. And, yeah. um, anyway, it was just, I never felt uh, as, as essential, I guess, um, as an association executive, as I did during that time period to, to be able to lobby and speak on behalf of my members who were, yeah. who couldn't do it individually because they were so in the weeds caring for the dead day to day, caring for themselves, caring for their families. Um, yeah. And, and I think we're still talking about it now in 2023 because we're still feeling the impact of that. And I think I'm so grateful. One of the outcomes, if there's any positive thing that comes out of a pandemic is that we talk about mental health more openly and the need for peer support. And what I just, I just want to uh, throw in a blatant proportion, uh, promotion for a wonderful organization called Funeral Professionals Peer Support. Um, they're working on a new website. They're between websites right now, but you can go to the, the Cana website, cremationassociation.org slash peer support. And we have monthly drop-in meetings via Zoom. You can be anywhere in the world. We have participants from all over North America, even Kenya, um, Europe, drop in and sometimes people just listen. We always have a, a facilitator, but it's a, a space where you can ask a question, seek support, quietly absorb the support. Yeah. <laughs> I staff it and I swear about 10 minutes in, I can feel my pulse and blood pressure going down. At, at wow. the end of it, I, I'm just like, wow, I'm so blessed to be in this group. And even if it's just comforting knowing that there's a group like that, should you ever need it, you know, but everybody, every funeral professional, including you, Jennifer, are welcome. That's a, that's a broad category of funeral professionals. So but we have to recognize that we have to be there yeah. for each other. Yeah. That's amazing. I, and I'm glad actually you, you mentioned that uh, we love a bit of blatant promotion, so that's fine. <clears throat> um, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually heard them on a podcast um, last year and I, I, they're on my to-do list to get as a guest. Oh. I think I might've reached out. Um, I think I might've reached out at some point, but usually I have to follow, you know, usually uh, if it, uh, even with my own email inbox, if it's not essential, it gets it gets kind of shoved down to the bottom. So, um, yes, because they, I, I thought it was just a fascinating um, conversation. Like, I mean, what we're touching on it here and I just think it's so, so, so important. Um, I mean, mental health is massively important. Um, but I think in things like hospitals and nursing homes and funeral homes and just where you're dealing with, um, and thank you for saying it to me because while I'm very, uh, I am very a problem shared is a problem halved and my mother always said I talk too much hence the podcast um, but I am I'm very sort of an open book um, but I also you know struggle we all struggle with demons we'll call them for you know at whatever I mean COVID was a very dark time for me I was living on my own in a basement a million miles away from my family in Ireland I had no family here um, I went through a bit of a breakup and I you know there was a few friends there was just there was just some sh shit we'll say went down and yeah it was a very very dark time for for me but I also um which is why I think I kind of appreciate mental health and and what people do for it because I've only really experienced that sort of depression I don't even know because that's the thing about mental health like you're only these words are thrown out there and I don't know if that's what it was I don't know was it I don't know. Um, but I've only experienced it twice in my life. And I know, um, interestingly, that I said to myself, I love it. I love an L conversation with myself. But I, I said to myself, Jen, this is shit. 
This is absolutely shit that you're going through this. But it's okay. Do whatever you've got to do. Cry, grieve, watch sad movies, have a few drinks. And I'm not saying this works for everyone else. This is just me. Mm -hmm. Eat whatever food you want. Do whatever you've got to do. We're giving you one month. (laughs) This is me talking to myself. We're giving you one month. And then you've got to shake it off. Then you've got, you can do it for a month. And, you know, sometimes I might even, it's rare that twice this has only really seriously happened. But I've said, do whatever you've got to do for a month, then shake it off. And it doesn't mean you ever forget. It doesn't mean you sort of just, you know, wake up that after that month and you're great. Um, but I just found giving myself the the freedom and the not, because I find that half of the, the issue with, for me, um, getting down on myself is actually the shame then that comes with it. So if I get down on myself, then I feel guilty for being down on myself when my life is so great. Then I feel shame because I'm being guilty or I'm not, I should have done this and I didn't do that. And then it just becomes a So I found stepping back and sort of saying, no, it's okay. Stay in bed, cry, do this, do that, X, Y, and Z. But there is a timeline to this Um, that I found has helped me. Um, And even when I go through tiny little dips of emotions, um, you know, not not nearly like those those two experiences, but like, you know, when I have just a down day where, you know, I have a business and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. And we all go through it, you know, and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world and the most successful people in the world, they go through it. And I love that they're all talking about it. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's very much about taking away the guilt and the shame. And from as an Irish person as well, there's a lot of that on us. Um, we, we, we wear guilt and shame and, um, you know, so um, I'm not saying I'm not giving advice. I'm just, we're just chatting here. This is well, not. Don't, don't you think because you, you got through your, you know, dark period for lack of a better word, the first time you knew when you were experiencing it, the second time that you could get through it, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's experience that builds. And I think that's, um, I mean, that's why teen years are so angsty, right? Cause you're, you're all the emo, you're feeling all the feels and you don't yeah. have the coping skills, but once you have the coping skills, that's great. And I think what COVID, you know, brought to the light is, how how weak so many of our our systems are i mean fill in the blank but i'm just going to say i'm going to stay focused on mental health and and some of it is our coping skills i mean i'll confess i was never a dog owner before covid adopted two geriatric pooches uh during covid they're sleeping at my feet right now and my mental health has never been better because they're just pure love and I mean, they're dogs, so they're pure love and unconditional love. And I have to care for them. And, and Mm. when I'm caring for them, I'm not focused on my own woes or it helps me put it in perspective. And I have other coping mechanisms too, but I think that's, I think that advice is so key and I'm going to take that like, okay, if I can set a time limit for spinning out, I will do it and then move on. Right. Watch the dogs. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And it's funny, I have actually said it to, um, obviously, a lot of the families I work with, um, we we become very, very close, and I'm very, you know, privileged in that sense. But some of them then will confide in me and and I become part therapist. And that's something that I don't necessarily give it as advice. I'm just saying, you know, this look, this worked for me. And sometimes you need to because like, when you lose somebody, oh, I still have to look after the kids. I still have to go to work tomorrow. This project needs taken care of. And everything just becomes, and then, and for me, that's where the problem is because you get overwhelmed and then it's like crash. Whereas, you know, sometimes when I'm chatting with this family, I'm like, it's okay for you to sleep in three days next week. It's okay for you to take a you day. I know it sounds wild to take a spa day when your husband maybe has just died, but like, it's not about a spa. It's, it's like, it's literally sitting in it, crying your eyes out, laughing at the memories, whatever it can be. It's uh, grief is, and you know, talking about dogs, my Ted talk was about this. It's grief is different for everyone. I could, I don't have a partner, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a dog over here, but I do have a dog in Ireland. Um, (laughs) but you know, losing a job, losing a friend, losing whatever could hit me just as hard as the next person who loses a spouse. Yeah. And it's, it's not for me or any of us to judge anybody on what that particular loss you suffered meant to you. It's not when we lost our dog, um, 
you know, she, we, she was 16, we put her down. Um, and I use the word lost and I actually often talk about it. It's not like you lose like a necklace, yeah. then you find it again, unfortunately. But, um, you know, we put our dog down and it still gets me. It still chokes me up. And um, because like that, Barbara, I, as a teenager, I had her. And I do think that was a savior because I was able to tell her anything. And she would just all good snuggle up all good are we going for walks we're going for walks great let's we're going for walks like yeah you could you could have told her i i could have told her i was hitler right. and she still would have been like cool all right we still go for that we still go for that walk yeah <laughs> we'll scratch and then let's go um yeah you know, I, I i yes i completely completely get you you know one thing i want to say too um related to something we were discussing earlier i think i think your career path is so interesting you mentioned that we we typically cross paths at, at uh, professional conventions, and it's true. And and we will have uh, brief but uh, yep. insightful, com- memorable conversations in the aisles among display booths selling, who knows yeah. what, right? And yeah. um, and it's and it's wonderful. So I'm glad we're having a more you know focused, lengthy conversation now. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever said this to you, so I'll take the opportunity. I think I think your career path is so interesting, starting as event planner and then get going in to the death care world. And I think for, for um, funeral professionals who can't, are struggling with figuring out cremation profitability and the business plan, you know what a great entry point is for all of them, more blatant promotion, is a celebrant. Because let me just say that I love all my Cana members and many, you know, I, I, my background is actually as a librarian and you'd think I thought before I took this job that librarians were a profession that was hit with like massive change, right? The internet changed everything for libraries, um, especially, you know, reference, which was my focus. But then I, I got into, I came to work for Kena, very different from librarians, but technology is changing everything. Consumer preferences are changing new forms of disposition or and guess what? A funeral director has to do it all. It's always both and. Nothing ever gets dropped. They're still mm-hmm. going to be burying. They're still going to be embalming as well as whatever this new form of disposition is that a family comes and asks about. And sometimes it's the same family, right? They're planning the embalmed, casketed visitation, burial for, you know, implementing the pre-planned whatever for their, for their grandparents and then saying, yeah, I don't want that what's next around the corner? Or do you offer this thing that I read about in the paper? And it's like, whoo, whiplash, right? They have to know so much and serve a wide variety of consumer preferences. No wonder it's challenging and it's challenging to figure out how to fit all of that into an existing business. Um, But the, you know, the ones that I admire so much and who are figuring that out talk they go to professional events they're they're curious they're how do we do this um the breaks are probably more important than the sessions to them because they pick out that person who asked a question similar to the one they had and put their heads together and and you know come up with some ideas and trial and error they'll find a celebrant they'll bring them in they know i'm an embalmer not an event planner and i'm cool with that identity so let me find an event planner or somebody who can more emotionally connect with the families perhaps and craft a truly unique service. And this is where, you know, my comfort zone. So I will, you know, do that. So I think that's one way to get to that, uh, expand that business plan. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, exactly what you just said there, it's, uh, I feel like a lot of them, they're coming from a place of fear oh, event planners are going to take my my job or the celebrant, oh, if I, if I don't go to the priest, it, they're coming from fear-based. Yeah. I think actually it was back in like 2016, back when I was working with Eco Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, that's how you and I actually connected. I think so. Um, yeah, um, I was speaking with some, um, a lady, a journalist from the New York Times, and it was at, I think, the NFDA or one of them. Anyway, she was interviewing people on the on the ground floor and I asked her, I said, what was like, what was your one takeaway? And she said, really interestingly, she said, my one takeaway was every funeral director down there thinks that they're they're going to become disposal houses and that event planners and all of these other people are coming coming for their jobs. And I was like, what? That's, that's like to me, that's wild because there's I mean, as far as I'm aware, 
in the United States, I'm, I think, the only one doing what I do. Um, I know there's there's a lady up in Canada. I think there maybe is two up in Canada. But regardless, I'm not saying that as in a, I, I don't definitively know that. I just know um, from who I network with. And so I'm like, no, event planners, to be honest, because I used to be, they don't, this is the dark side. They don't, they don't want to be here. <laughs> like they're, they're doing weddings and baby showers. They're happy out. So I'm kind of like, no, it's, it's not, it's not coming from a place of fear because they, they can help you absolutely like your local event planner whatever it is work with them you guys can create a new business line like it, it happens um and it's, it's quite frustrating to me because like that from a celebrant point of view like when I go in and I'm talking to a family like I'm talking to one now shortly after this is um I'll say to them are you getting it live streamed have you what flowers are you going with like I'll ask them all those things because I have an interest and lo and behold an awful lot of the time like with this particular one I'll upsell it sounds awful to say that but I'll upsell a, a live streaming service and the funeral home be delighted and I'm like but why didn't somebody offer them that back you know you know I I think that's uh quite literally the million dollar or some dollar amount question is but that, that's what's hard too, because um, one thing I, I really sympathize, we, we do obviously cremation association, we do a lot of training around cremation. And one of the things that cremation as a disposition offers families is this expanded timeline, an expanded timeline for services, expanded timeline for permanent placement, um, and and possibly, and, and pretty com- this is common in my family, um, multiple services. So mm-hmm. I, the, the story I love to tell about my family tradition is um, we, we had a really bad year and I'm thinking it was like around 2016 where we had multiple deaths in one year and one branch of the family. Um, a couple were expected, a couple were unexpected and uh, that branch of the family all chose cremation and they were in uh, the deaths were in um three states, the four deaths, three, three states. And so what happened is when the death immediately happened, the closest relatives like came together, there was a, you know, maybe it was just a dinner, but it was, or, or you know, but anyway, there, maybe, maybe it was a local memorial service, um, something small, you know, depending on the circumstances. But then we had this family gathering um, in Denver over the summer, better weather. And it happened to be the other, the cover for this event was also my mother's 70th birthday. And my mother was an identical twin. So it was her, you know, she and her sister came together. We had this picnic in the state park. The cover was the 70th birthday, two birthday cakes. But what we were really going to do is scatter ashes. Okay. Completely illegally. Everybody knew it was illegal, including me. I'm confessing. And, but this is where this branch of the family scattered their loved ones because they'd had some deaths earlier and they scattered. So we gather under this, under this picnic um, enclosure. My co- local cousin had, a, you know, reserved it and everything. And he's looking around the park and he's like, where's the playground? Where's, where's this, that, and the other thing? Um, there was only this picnic enclosure and apparently there'd been a playground and there's the trailhead over there and beautiful park overlooking this uh, mountainous area. Gorgeous. He loved to do that, that hike. And so we're, we've just scattered. We've come back to eat birthday cake and the park ranger shows up. Good timing since we just scattered. Right. And uh, he's chatting with the park ranger and, Oh, what brings you together? And my mom pipes out, Oh, we're celebrating my birthday. You want a piece of cake? And he said, no. And so my cousin asked him, what's going on with the park? You took out the playground. You took and He's like, yeah, the bathrooms are going next. We, we sold all this land over here to developers. And we're going to keep the trailhead, which is the sliver of you know parking lot and, and access to the trail. And it's going to have be, become like a porta potty kind of thing. And this picnic enclosure is going to go away. And uh, yeah, that's happening over the next year. We just sold the land. So we're scaling back. And, we, and he was like, oh, okay, okay. And the park ranger moves on and he t- whips around and says to my family, how can they do that? This is where we scatter our dead. How, how Outraged. How can we do that? And <laughs> this is I, our little memorial garden. This is, and it's going to be someone's backyard. 
And yes, oh, it, is. it is someone's backyard now. And I won't name the park in case like it's, somebody's yeah. like, but you know, it was all I could do to say, and, and actually the, the cousins who are my generation, we all turned to each other and like, well, I guess we could have picked a cemetery, couldn't we? But oh, well. And, uh, you know, it was, it was what it was, but I think, you know, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, okay, there's, you know, themes in there, DIY. I'm not going to ask permission. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be outraged when I don't get what what when I've yeah. broken the rules, there's a lot of stuff like that. And, you know, some guidance um, yeah. from a funeral professional early on would have been helpful. Perhaps. Would have been and, and that's exactly it. Like that's really and truly all that people are looking for is just a hand to hold mm-hmm. to guide them through just the shittiest of times. Like, let's be honest, you can't call it kind of anything else. Yeah. Um, You know. Like actually, although a friend of mine um said something to me the other day, and I, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, it's a little bit off topic, but it just it just came to me, and I I just um there's obviously across every country and even in New York and every city and everything there's wealthy areas and then there's sort of impoverished areas, and I just thought this was really interesting. He said to me, "For the wealthy, death is an inconvenience. For the poor, it's a burden." Oh, well said. And interesting, kind of tragic on both sides. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because it, you know, it's, it's as you know, as we kind of started off this podcast with, it's it's money, it's money that you didn't save for, you know, unless you've got a pre-plan and all that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's sticker shock sometimes for a lot of people, and you know, especially if it's your first and you're happen to be very young or whatever it might be. I mean, it's. But there are associations like you guys out there um, that are protecting sort of the, the consumer and the funeral profession as well. And, um, you know, it's great to see. I mean, we had Jack, um, who's the president of the NFDA on there um, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's it's great for me anyway. I've been doing this for 15 years. I've been over and back to all these association convention, annual conventions and stuff. And it's predominantly why I moved over here eventually eight years ago, which I can't believe it's eight years now. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, but it's, it's seeing, you know, younger, not even necessarily younger, but seeing people with more open minds are taking the helm now yeah. and are like the directors and the presidents of these associations. And that to me, that's, something I'm delighted to see and I kept kind of egging Jack on obviously because I'm a celebrant and I said to him I said it doesn't have to be me but I kept egging him on that the service of remembrance this year should be led by a celebrant because I can't kind of believe that it's still being led by you know specific one specific religion and and that um so yeah look there's a lot of change coming Mm -hmm. um and as you and I we didn't get into it but we are going to have to unfortunately wrap it up so maybe we'll get you back on again but um we definitely there's a lot happening in the future with uh, green disposition yeah. um there's the, the potentially the a first non-profit funeral home i was a friend of mine melissa i'm sure you probably know about that yeah um and then obviously this composting thing just got legalized here in new york so that's huge yeah. um so all very exciting times um well so. these are areas where um Cana is the smallest of the national associations and we've yeah. really stayed in our lane which has been cremation but um, now that we're changing our name, but all of these new forms of disposition are similar, different from, but similar to cremation and that they reduce human remains faster than burial, right? So they have many things in common. There's machinery in use that takes place at a facility. And so for all of those reasons, Kane has taken an interest in those new forms of disposition. And I think, I believe at least at this point, it's the only national association, possibly the only death care association actively talking about um, these new forms of disposition because, you know, back to the business model, some some death care professionals say, well, it's not even legal in my state. I don't want to hear about it. it yeah. Is it really a thing? I mean, is alkaline hydrolysis even, you know, 1% of cremations in the United States? The answer is no. So it's not, you know, it's not something they're, they're going to, it's not a big enough business opportunity for them yet, Mm -hmm. I think, to pay attention to. And yet, like you said, there's, there's a, there's all these new um, and really interesting business models that are, that are forming. I always focus on the business side of things. So pardon me, but um, they're not, you know, and, and they're effective and successful, even though these new forms of disposition are just kind of evolving and, 
and um, and there's an energy around composting that I haven't seen. Maybe maybe there was a similar kind of pardon the religious language, but evangelical like excitement and you know even within my family, people have have you heard about this composting thing? It's really fascinating, and I'm like whoa, <laughs> you know, maybe there yeah. was some of that about cremation a hundred years ago when it was just becoming a thing, but, um, there's a different energy around it. I think I agree. I yeah. think it's something to watch. And the fact that it's coming into place in, in New York and there was a couple cemeteries already making statements saying we're going to do it as soon really? as can. So now right. pressure back to the regulators to write the rules, you know, it's, it's coming in the That's reality of composting is coming, not just yes. That's great. So, yeah, because yeah, let's, I, let's talk about that another time. Yes, I was about to say, I think we'll need to have a whole other one on on green burials and, and dispositions and all of that sort of stuff. Because we kind of went off on our tangent, but it's good. I'm I'm glad we yeah. covered what we did. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for being with us, Barbara. And um, we'll definitely get you back um, on for another. We maybe even might make it a trio. We might like uh, bring oh. you on and somebody else from the green and, and we can have a little. Yeah, Ooh, we don't do yeah. many trios here, but. Let me think about that. Would be good. Yeah. You know, have you ever interviewed Tanya Marsh? I have not. Tanya? Well, Tanya's, and I made a note to introduce you to Michael Dixon and Lisa Smith from Funeral Professional Peer Support. Oh, Together. wonderful. Thank you. Um, I'll write down Tanya. Tanya's a law professor at Wake Forest University and um, specializing in uh, cemetery law. And she wrote, um, and it was, she wrote the first draft of the law that evolved into legalizing NOR in Washington state. And she's been involved in with better land forests and that, that nonprofit organization. Um, And and I believe she had something to do. I don't know the details with um, advising on the law that passed in New York and Vermont. So she, she comes kind of from, you know, the, the legal regulatory perspective, but she's, yeah, she's, she's very, accessible she she had her own podcast for a while called death death at sec e-t-s-e-q so oh yeah there's actually a lot more podcasts than i think i realized um i'm not a it's terrible to admit this but i'm not actually a massive podcast listener Ah. i'm more (laughs) I, i know which is ridiculous but i'm more um because I like to watch things and I'm a visual person. Yeah. Uh, like when I'm listening to things, if it's not an audio book or something like, and it has to be a non or it has to be a fiction, no, a nonfiction audio book um, or music. That's kind of the only, and yeah. even the audio books, it's only certain times I can't. Yeah. And I, that's only of a recent revelation. I haven't been doing that a long time either. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and um, we will definitely be in touch soon and we'll set that up with Tanya maybe and yeah we're good What did you think of that episode? I'm sure um, people have a lot of opinions Um, mental health is a huge 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 thing right now Um, but if you have a comment or a thought or a question about that or anything else covered in today's episode, please do send us an email, glamreaperpodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to talking to you again soon.